Welcome to episode 18 of When Life Gives You Lemons, Go Vegan. This podcast celebrates and shares people's incredible stories of recovery after making the transition to a low-fat, whole-food vegan lifestyle, and I'm your host, Corinne Nidja. We did have a few issues with the audio in this episode. However, it's totally listenable, just a little bit rustly, more rustly than normal anyway. But with such a great guest, you won't even notice because you'll be so, oh my God, it's Jeanette Murray-Wakelin. If you don't know who that is, I'll explain. This was yet another complete fangirl moment for me, and I'm surprised I didn't make a complete dork of myself, but I guess you'll be the judge of that. This week's episode was with one of those people you talk about when you're trying to inspire greatness or to talk about what is humanly possible beyond what is mentioned in the media or on mainstream TV. Most of us live in complete crippling terror of receiving a diagnosis of breast cancer and a prognosis of only six months to live. Now, I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm like... I'm speechless, as you can see. With one in every two people now diagnosed with some, some form of cancer, all of us know someone who has been touched by cancer directly, and chances are high that someday, as terrifying as it is to even consider, we ourselves might become one of those statistics, one of those one in two. As this podcast is about hope, about miracles, about the outliers, about those people that defied the odds those people that overcame chronic illness and disease. Jeanette Murray Wakelin's story of recovering from terminal breast cancer after adopting a raw vegan diet and about how she then went on to complete 366 consecutive marathons around Australia when she was in her 60s, which, as you and I both know, is nearly more impressive than being told she had six months to live only to be completely free from cancer six months later. Who runs 366 consecutive marathons around Australia in their 60s? Like, zero people. No one. She broke a world record. She's the only person who has. Well, her and her husband, Alan. It's miraculous. It, it is one of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard and most people have ever heard. It can only be described as the, like the ultimate of hope-filled stories. Overcoming, being told you have six months to live and then going on to not only be cancer-free within six months, but to compete, complete such an enormous epic feat of endurance, of strength, of mind, willpower, of all those. It's just mind-blowing. The, the most truly miraculous, awe-inspiring story of dedication, of commitment, of overcoming tremendous odds I've personally heard in a very long time if ever but this is not a how-to guide to beating cancer it's not a prescription it isn't a one-size-fits-all approach this is merely one woman's story it's a great story but it might not be your story (laughs) it might not be anyone's story 366 marathons pretty massive (laughs) if you are listening to this interview or you're, list- you're someone who you know someone who has cancer, or you're living with cancer yourself. Don't do what Jeanette did. Listen to what she says. Listen to your doctor. Research. Listen to your heart. Get a second, a third opinion. And then do what you believe is the right choice for you. You have to do what's right for you. And Jeanette is the first person to tell you that her story is her story. It's not your story. It's not your cancer journey. It's Jeanette's cancer journey. It's an amazing cancer journey, but it's Jeanette's. 
one of my personal highlights from this interview is when Jeanette mentions that many of our health concerns can be solved when we take the time to go within, to pause, to breathe, to ask ourselves what we need. Now, that's not saying don't see a doctor, but also go within. Listen. Listen to yourself. Listen to your stresses, what your problems have been, where you live, what you, know, what you eat, who your relationships are with, because those things impact us. If we're constantly stressed, if we're constantly living in dis-ease, it's no wonder, it's not, it's not rocket science that dis-ease will present within us if we're unhappy, if we're struggling, if we're living around you know, high pollutant areas, all those different things, living in high-stress jobs, in high-stress relationships, volatile relationships, if we don't speak our truth, if we don't ever enjoy the things we're passionate about, if we don't follow our dreams, all there's just a, it's multifaceted why disease occurs in our bodies, not just in genetics. Like diet loads the gun to genetics a lot of the time. So it's just about, this diet isn't about, it isn't about a model. It isn't about saying no to doctors or saying there's only one path. I really want to stress and stress and stress that this is just one incredible story. There are many stories like this, which is why it's totally worth listening to and adding it to your research, your own research. But just don't take it like this is just a prescription of how to get better from cancer, how to overcome those odds, because it, it may not work for you. You know, you need to put all your eggs, you know, not just in one basket, but in, in, in the, all the baskets, all the different baskets that you feel comfortable with, that work for you, that you, your family and your friends and yourself mostly, yourself, that it works for. So it's a long ramble, but I really wanted to stress that, that this isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. This is Jeanette's story. It's an incredible story, but you have to do what's right for you. And I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Thank you, Jeanette. It was just a dream come true getting to listen to you and spend time with you and hear this story in person. Thank you so much. Enjoy. So hello, Jeanette, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Oh, I'm so excited and I really hope that everyone who's listening gets as much out of your story as what I do. It just fills me with so much I don't know, hope and motivation and inspiration for what's possible for our bodies and for our lives and for our health, obviously. Yeah. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want to, I've given a little bit of a background, but if you wanted to just kind of start with your story, like how, how this all came about, your, I guess starting at the very, the very start when your health, with your health, if that would be okay. So, um, yes, about um, a year 2000, um, I was in, in New Zealand, actually, which is where I'm originally from, and uh, I was there with my partner, Alan, and we were running the length of New Zealand, and um, it was just, everything was fantastic, like, we were about, after the run, which was about 2,800 kilometres a marathon a day, something we'd never done before. And, you know, it was just very exciting to be able to have the ability to do that as well as um, afterwards we were, our plan was to, we were moving to Canada and we were going to set up our new home and everything was great. 
and we were moving there because um, because our kids were there and it was just, you know, it was very exciting time. When we did get back after the run, we were together with our children and, and our one grandchild at the time at a festival and we were just walking around and it was, um, you know, it was just a lovely day and I was just feeling, you know, so blessed with, you know, everything being so wonderful in life and um, I was holding my little grandson and he was hanging on to me. He fell asleep and you know how they kind of hang on when they're, when they're asleep. And um, so we, when we got home, so for about an hour or more, he was just hanging on, you know, like around my chest. When we got home, it was kind of like, oh, he'd been hanging on there for, for a bit. And then, then I felt there and I could feel a lump in the breast and so uh, my daughter his his mom said well you better have that checked out so to shorten the story i had it checked out and i was diagnosed with breast cancer and basically i was given six months to live at that point so the prognosis was not good but i thought well you know if um, if my little grandson could help to to surface that lump so that i could find out that this was the situation, then obviously I needed to stay around for a bit longer. <laughs> um, obviously he was only little, he was not even two, and, um, you know, I wanted to be around for his for his life too. So I thought, well, that's prominence, if you like, whereby he'd brought that to my attention in just, you know, unintentionally, but that's how it happened. So when I got the diagnosis, I was, I was offered all the... Uh, the usual treatments and so on and none of that really made sense to me because it was compromising the body further I really felt that I needed to look into um, you know why and how and and when this all came about and how I could help the body help itself to heal so within that six months I I did a lot of um, holistic therapy and and um, a lot of uh going within, if you like, you know, really appreciating who I am and placing a high enough value on myself to make, to know that it was worth going, going the distance, you know, basically taking this journey as, as another challenge and, and running with it. <laughs> so uh, within that, pardon the pun. Yeah. Within that six months, um, we came, um, you know, I came out of, out of that being completely clear. And that's kind of obviously the short form of that cancer journey story. But <laughs> 10 years later, I did write the book. So the book we can talk about later. But also uh, 10 years later, we decided to move. We were in Canada at the time and we decided to move to Australia. And when we moved here, um, well, backtracking slightly, after I was, uh, I was clear of cancer, we set up a wellness centre and just with the idea of um, sharing the experience and the information with as many people as we could. Mm. And um, we did that and, and the centre had a raw vegan restaurant and everything, you know, like our lifestyle, the, the lifestyle that we had then adopted to make, to make this difference, then we were, you know, projecting that through the centre. When we decided to move to Australia, then it was, you know, um, a whole different thing. So when we got here... We had, you know, no job or anything to come to, so we started giving raw vegan lifestyle programs for people. 
And we did that for a couple of years um, while we were getting settled and, and, you know, into living here. Um, and during that time, I kept thinking that I just hadn't felt as if I hadn't reached enough people with the message that I had. And, I mean, I was obviously feeling great. And, um, and my husband, Alan, had also taken on the lifestyle at the same time. And so he was feeling great too and we're feeling really physically healthy. So I came up with the idea that we could run around Australia. And he, he sort of felt, oh, that's, uh, that's a bit big. I mean, running the length of New Zealand was one thing, but this was going to be eight, you know, eight times longer further it's a big country. We looked into it and um, eventually came up with the plan that if we ran a marathon every single day, it would take a year to get all the way around Australia. That's basically how far it is. It's 16,000 kilometers. It's amazing. So we decided, well, you know, that's pretty big. You know, that's going to attract a little bit of attention probably. It's going to go mainstream and that would be the best way to reach the most amount of people in the short amount of time that, you know, that I felt that would be great. So that's what we did. And in the, in the year 2013, we set out and we spent that whole year running all the way around Australia, including Tasmania, and um, finished up on the first day of, uh, of 2014. So um, that certainly uh, gained a lot of uh, mainstream media uh, worldwide had a lot of, lot of people following us and, and the point of doing it was to show by example what's possible if you follow a conscious lifestyle making you know, choices with your, with your food and your, your whole lifestyle choices, everything, and how you can pretty much do anything you want. And the other point of it was that at the time we were in our 60s we're now in our 40s, obviously. <laughs> so we were both in our 60s, so no one, you know, of that age had ever done anything like that before. And we also did it all on raw, vegan, um, plant-based foods and wearing barefoot shoes. So we kind of bagged it, you know. It was like, <laughs> okay, folks, here's, you know, here's the most probably extreme um, set of uh, circumstances that we put together in one go, just to show what's possible. And when we first started out, the media were very sceptical. They thought we'd probably, at the most, last about two weeks of running. And, of course, we did have a lot of challenges on the way. It's a big country. We had four seasons to go through. and Well, actually, there's five in Australia because one of them is the fire season. Mm. So we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of different things that happened along the way, which, um, you know, certainly presented many, many challenges that you wouldn't otherwise, you know, find on a running track or something. So that was great. And we did receive uh, a huge amount of interest mainstream when we first started. As I said, they were very sceptical. By the time we got halfway around, it was like they're still going. So, <laughs> um, you know, how are they doing this? And then by the time, of course, we finished, it was, it was huge. We weren't getting any of those questions that you normally get, like where do you get your protein or anything like that, because clearly we were getting everything we needed to be able to achieve such a, you know, a physical and mental um, mm. achievement. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, and so it went wild. And we were invited to um, many countries and especially also around Australia to speak about it directly afterwards and it was during one of those talks that a filmmaker 
approached us and said, I think we need to make this make a film so that we can get this message out um, in a really in a really positive way. And so the last four years, that's what we've been doing. Well, the last three years after we finished, we were helping, you know, with making of the making of the film. And then it was released early in 2017 last year. Still getting used to calling it last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we spent uh, at least six months of last year traveling with the film, you know, with its premiere screenings in, in various countries. And it's now... Uh, it's now been released, you know, it's available on DVD and we'll be taking it to Europe next year to screen it. Um, actually, it's quite a big thing is happening in Paris, France. So we'll be, um, we'll be screening it, premiering it there in, in Paris um, a couple of days before the Paris Marathon, which we will also be running in. So, yeah, so it's been 25 years since we ran the Paris Marathon and um, we're going to be doing that along with a, a foundation of people who called the Vegan Marathon uh, Group and we're going to be having a very big vegan presence at the marathon. So normally there's about 70 to 80,000 registrants that run the marathon and um, we're going to have vegan marathoners and runners making a, a human chain all the way along the marathon distance and having a huge presence there so and that will be after we've screened the film there so so that's pretty huge so that's 2019 or 2018 no this year so in april this year wow so basically that will that will happen and that will take it that that will explode through through europe and then uh at the same time Coincidentally, it will be screening at the um, prestigious American Documentary Film Festival in California. So it's been selected. It has an official selection for that now. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. So our film director, who's done a marvellous job and producer as well, they will be um, representing the film in California while we're running the marathon and in Paris. <laughs> So there you go. There's my story. <laughs> that is an amazing so story. So far, it just keeps going. Ah, oh, that is so good. So they did you just did you film without the idea of a documentary being made while you were running? We were filming um, while we were running, and when we met the film director, um, I, you know, during my talk at the end of the, that talk that he was present at, I said we're going, you know, we're going to make a film. And I was thinking, you know, just sort of make an iMovie. Yeah. Um, put it up on YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he said, you know, did you have someone filming? And I said, well, we had volunteers that came with us all the way and we had about four or five cameras and phones and that's the footage we've got. I gave him all the footage and he said, okay, we need to go on location and do a rerun to fill in the gaps. Because of course, a lot of the time we didn't have the camera with us. Like we were going through cyclones and bushfires and, you know, it was, you know, a lot of the time it just wasn't possible to have a camera. So we had to go and basically reenact a lot of the, a lot of what happened in the areas around Australia. So we went on, on location for two years doing filming for the, for it as well and then of course it was all professionally edited and and you know the sound and the mixing and everything was done by professionals so it's a um 
yeah, it's a professionally uh, made feature film, feature documentary. So we're very proud of it. It's really great. He's done a, everyone's done a fantastic job. And it was all done through crowdfunding and sponsorship too because you know, obviously it costs a lot of money to make a film like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Not your regular YouTube, so there you go. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay, so I'm going to – I just kind of wanted to pick, pick out some holes because people who are listening who may not know you or who might be thinking like maybe they've got cancer or they have a, have a chronic disease and they're just kind of piecing in the holes. So you were running long before – you were marathon runners long before your diagnosis? Yes, that's right. I, we'd probably – between us, we'd probably run about 60 actual competitive marathons at that point. Um, yeah, I, I'd always been a healthy person. I'd never been sick, never had a cold even in my whole life. I just always had a healthy, what you would consider to be a healthy diet. Um, my parents grew a lot of their own vegetables throughout my childhood. And, you know, so I, I thought I was pretty healthy. I was vegetarian and vegan and um, for most of my life. Uh, but I was environmentally um, compromised and that's, when the you know the the cancer happened, and most people are env- environmentally compromised in some form or another, and then something else might trigger, um, you know, that the mutation happening with the cells. So for me, in a lot of ways, at the time when I was diagnosed, it was one in nine for breast cancer to be diagnosed, and so I counted up all the women in my family, and there was nine. <laughs> So I thought, oh, well, that's me. Okay, <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Uh, now, of course, it's one and two, which tells you that, you know, what's going on and what hasn't been going on is, is not working. So definitely people need to start making, you know, taking more responsibility for their own health and, and looking at ways to um, to stop, you know, don't wait for the diagnosis, you know, start um, making cho- choices now that will make a difference. Wow. So you were already ve- vegan for the animals when you were diagnosed yeah wow so you were eating cooked cooked vegan healthy kind of cooked vegan food yeah just from hearing your story a lot of people think that they're, that they're not at all even vegan who might be listening and they're thinking oh my gosh going vegans seems hard enough so going how was the transition i guess when you have a huge catalyst like a diagnosis like what you had six months i know for me losing the feeling in my legs i was like okay <laughs> i don't need any of the food that i used to like <laughs> I want to feel, I want to feel my legs. So I guess, you know, that's different. But was it, was it difficult for you and Alan, like making that shift or like making that shift to raw fruitarian, which is so much, for most people, that's quite extreme compared to just veganism, which they already think is extreme. Compared to eating animals, which is pretty extreme. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it is funny how people say, you know, that, our diet, if you like, is extreme, which is completely the opposite, of course. Yeah. But uh, making that transition or that change, that changeover, was actually really easy for me because I was already vegan. So yeah. you just stop cooking the food. It's that, <laughs> I mean, really, literally, it's that easy. It's not that hard. You can get fruit and vegetables everywhere in the world. And we've been, you know, spending a lot of time actually over the last three years going to different countries and seeing and experiencing the fact that you can get fruit and vegetables everywhere. So um, it's not that hard to actually get. And to eat it raw 
the point of eating it raw is to get the most nutrients from the food. Where as soon as you heat food, then a lot of the nutrients are lost and the enzymes that the fruit and vegetables um, contain is basically killed. You need enzymes to assimilate the nutrients that are in the food. And although we have, our, we make our own enzymes, we also need enzymes from plant-based foods, which is where you get them from. It doesn't come from, you know, dead food, basically. It has to come from living food. So to be able to assimilate and get the nutrients from that food, then it makes sense that you would need to eat it in its natural form, which is raw. So um, to me, it was just like a no-brainer, you know, well, what are you going to do? You're going to wait six months and die, or are you going to do something about it? You know, you're going to actually change change your diet, change your your environment, and um, make a difference. So, the diet was the easiest part, to be honest. You know, because um, obviously there are other other things come into lifestyle changes, and you know, one of them, for instance, might be your job. It might be in a really toxic environment or in a toxic situation that you may not realize until you start thinking about it um so you're going to change your do job and then what about where you're living and the circumstances of where a person is living are they going to then move well i did all of that because i'm going like well <laughs> why wouldn't you you know why wouldn't you make the choice that's going to make the difference so that's one of the reasons we ended up in australia is moving out of the environment that we were in because uh, you know it was that's where i was compromised it's just making those choices and everything we do in life is a choice. So it's really making it, making sure that each choice is a conscious choice and are you going to be happy with the result of that choice. Yeah, changing over to raw vegan food was the easiest thing. Um, Alan had, a, you know, he, he took a little bit longer. He was still eating, you know, vegan muffins and things like that, especially at the time we had our own little restaurant at that point. Um, in our wellness center and so we were making all this food and then at the end of the day if it wasn't eaten you know he'd be eating a sandwich on the way home or a muffin or something and pretty soon it was just like why am I eating the bread like didn't take long for for him to change over as well and then since then since we've been living here especially now that we're up in far north Queensland and there's such an abundance of fruit we are basically fruitarians because we're there's just so much fruit available um and of course that's where all the nutrients and and you know vitality is is in in that end product of the plant which is the fruit um and then we do grow um our greens so we do have green smoothies and we do have salads when we've got an excess of you know like tomatoes grow crazy and of course they're a fruit but you know we do grow greens as well and um and we also have carrots and beetroot juiced so or grated in a salad but we we have a juice at least every second day and that was one of the things that I did a lot of when I was first diagnosed to make sure that I was getting as many nutrients as I possibly could in and by juicing you're obviously going to get you know up to eight times more than if you were going to eat it so you couldn't just sit down and you know eat a truckload of carrots which is basically what I was juicing a week so, <laughs> yeah, so we continue to to do that and um you know, to have a, a juice every couple of days as well. And that's that's as simple as it is, really. So did you, I know the, um, I don't know if everyone knows, but I I attended the Gawler Foundation when I 
well, 2006, to learn more about a plant-based diet from multiple sclerosis. I know the Gawler Foundation, if, if you don't know Ian Gawler, he is a cancer survivor. He was given a three-week life with bonehead bone cancer. and His leg was amputated and he now has the Gawler Foundation, which he opened where he hosts people and families to teach them or, or people and their partners and or individuals mindfulness, meditation, a plant-based diet, it's an amazing, there's qigong, massage, education, information all about how to adopt a plant-based diet for, for cancer specifically, but they also have meditation retreats, MS retreats, all kinds of amazing services to the community, which is wonderful. So I was thinking, did you, did you attend one of those yourself or did you? No, I didn't because um, at the time of my diagnosis, I was actually in Canada, but I knew, um, I knew Ian and when we moved here, we became, um, you know, we were able to see each other a lot more often. And in, in fact, when we ran around Australia, we chose the, the Gawler Foundation as one of our um, charities that we raised awareness and, and funds for as well. So yeah, they're a great, it's a great foundation and he's done a wonderful job of, of you know, helping to spread um, the really good positive message about being able to take take responsibility and take action for yourself, yeah. You know, we were fundraising the whole year when we were running, so, um, you know, we were able to raise, we, we raised a huge amount of awareness for the four foundation, you know, four different charities that we were um, um, doing it for. And, um, yeah, and then we were able to give them those funds at the end of the run as well. So, yeah, there's lots of ways you can do that. One of the things I was going to ask you was when you were first diagnosed, was there any treatment offered as far as what they could do to prolong your your life in mainstream Western medicine? Well, according to them, if I was to have chemotherapy and radiation, I might last another six months. But that extra six months would have been of sickness from the treatment. So once again, didn't make sense, you know, well, that totally doesn't make sense. No, thanks. Um, You know, I'd rather spend that six months making, uh, trying to make, helping the body to help itself rather than just, no, it was, um, it was never from the allopathic point of view, it was never um, an option of, you know, being able to heal and and change the situation. Ah, it's such an amazing story. You said that within six months you were cancer-free. How did you, did you go back and have tests to find out that the cancer was gone? Yeah, um, I was having tests the whole time because I was also having um, holistic therapy through a naturopathic physician and who specialises with um, cancer patients. So he was doing a huge amount of test, tests that you don't normally get, you know, if you're just going through the normal medical um, system. Uh, he, I was getting all those done as well, but a lot more. And so, yeah, it became very clear. And during that six months, it was all it was a bit of a roller coaster ride because you know sometimes I'd get my, um, you know, the, the blood work would come back and it would say, ah, uh, you know, your count's gone down rather than going up. And and I think, oh my god, it's not working or whatever. So it was a very very emotional time. But then it started to just get better and better, and the you know basically by the by the end before the six months in actual fact but by by the end of the six months that's completely clear what did your doctor say uh well i had a really good um uh, family doctor who i went to when i discovered the lung then i had to go and get a doctor which i'd never had before so 
I didn't have a doctor. <laughs> so anyway, I knew he was a medical doctor. And so she said, yeah, I'll take you on. So that was great um, because she was much more um, open to looking at alternative ways, even though she was in the medical, um, you know, she was an MD. And so, I, you know, once I got, once we got all the tests back and the pathologist report and, you know, she sort of gave me the diagnosis and the prognosis, uh, she basically said, uh, so what do you want to do about it? And I said, uh, well, we clearly need to do something about it, don't we? <laughs> so she was very helpful in, in that I was able to get any tests done through the medical side that I wanted done, but they were n- nowhere near enough um, for me to know, you know, really know what was going on. And that she completely backed what I was doing with the naturopathic physician as well. So that was really, really helpful. And I've, I've put a bit of that in the book that I, that I wrote about my journey um, just to let people know that there are doctors out there, especially now, like 10 years, more than 10 years later now, there are doctors that are becoming more and more conscious about, you know, alternative uh, or, well, more natural ways of looking at um, healing so, you know, those are, those are the doctors that you need to find if you need an actual medical doctor. So that's why I put that part of it in because it, it's not that the medical system is wanting in every direction. There's certainly, you know, there's certainly a need for, for doctors and surgeons when, when needed. But with things like um, with cancer, that's something that we can we can just help the body help itself because we managed to get in that situation in the first place pretty much. So whether it was intentionally or otherwise, you know, so we can certainly get ourselves out of it. Yeah, I did have other doctors that I was involved with and obviously oncologists that I went had to go through that whole gambit to get to the final um, prognosis and um, they basically said, well, if you're not going to do what we're offering, don't bother coming back when what you are doing isn't going to work. So I was just kind of wiped by them. And, uh, of course, six months later when I was still around and bouncing off the walls, um, you know, they just kind of, well, I had one of them say, oh, it must have been a misdiagnosis, which is interesting in that they'd prefer to be discredit themselves rather than to look into the possibility that there's some other way. But others just said, oh, good, great, good on you, whatever. But, you know, I've never been back to a doctor since. So I've never had the need to go to a doctor, a clinic, a hospital or, you know, for any any reason at all because I just get healthier and healthier. And, you know, obviously if I was in an accident or something, then that would be a different situation. But I don't need um, through sickness. I just don't get sick because I'm really healthy. <laughs> Isn't that strange? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It is very strange. You're not supposed to be here, Janet. <laughs> No, that's right. This is a figment of your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I wanted to ask was about the running. I wanted to talk about, because I I love this idea of running around Australia or going on a big, a big long, even if it was a, my, my friend calls it a yog, a a jog with a soft J. (laughs) Even if you're just doing a yog around the country, (laughs) just... (laughs) Um, what, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced during that? I, I guess, obviously you can't go into all them. There would have been so many, but I guess if you could just talk about one or two, yeah. that would be really... Well, the main challenges that we did have on the run around Australia was the climatic conditions, um, which were different every day. 
and the terrain. So, you know, the, the conditions that we were actually running on. Um, you know, like up the East Coast, the, it's a lot more populated and we were on roads that were, you know, a lot of traffic. It was extremely dangerous, to be honest. Um, so we had to really watch watch what was happening there. It was, it was you know, really um, kind of horrendous, actually. <laughs> and at the same time, breathing in all that, uh, you know, the fumes from the cars. And at one point, we were in about 280, I think, kilometres of roadworks. So it was just going on and on, on, you know, roadwork roads and concrete. So different, um, you know, different terrain that we were having to deal with and definitely the climatic conditions, um, which changed with the seasons and with the different um, areas as we went through over the year. But also each day there could be, um, you know, something completely different like, the road, the verge on the road, if we were running on it or had to get off the road to, to run on the side, things like that. I mean, yes, I could go on and on, but those are the major, you know, like didn't even put most of that in the book because it would be such a thick book. Yeah, it, it, mainly those were the big things. We did have a few logistic issues, like it took um, close to three years to organise the run, um, you know, ahead of the run. Uh, at the same time, which, of course, we were in training for it. Like the year before we actually ran, we did 6,000 kilometres in training. And that takes time, obviously, every day. We were running every single day. And so, you know, a lot of those logistics and making sure that things were were actually happening when they should and so on. Because basically every day we started our day at 4 o'clock in the morning and ran the marathon and things happened in between. Sometimes it, it took five hours and sometimes it took 20 hours of actually being out on the road and doing things in between. And, and in the beginning, we were having a lot of, um, you know, a lot of media. So people wanted to do interviews and we were having to stop halfway through running and things like that were going on. So it wasn't, you know, just going out for a run each day. It was logistically, it was it was pretty, pretty amazing, <laughs> say the least. But we had... Like I mentioned before, we had these wonderful volunteers who we had 20 in all over that year, um, came at different times, and we needed two at all times because we had two vehicles, and um, they were, they were marvellous. And basically they just had to drive the vehicles, be, you know, be where we needed them and, um, you know, peel a banana, make the food, <laughs> make sure we had food, and they had to go and buy the food and all that kind of thing. All those logistical um, things were, were quite a quite a challenge but um, it's not something I would recommend people take on um, you know a lot of people say how come like why why did you run around Australia and I said well we didn't have a car but actually we did but <laughs> you know, um, I think in a lot of ways running around was an amazing way to see the country because you know step by step you're actually really connecting with the earth and and we felt that a great deal especially in a lot of the places like in the Northern Territory and in the, you know, in the South coming across the, the Nullarbor, it was, you know, re there's a real connection, spiritual connection, if you like, with the earth. Um, so that you don't get when you're driving in a car. So from that point of view, there was, you know, those, those were the good things. <laughs> those were the prizes. I was going to ask you, what are the, what are the unexpected highlights, you know, and that would, that would be yeah. one. Yeah. And, you know, Meeting, meeting the various animals that we met along the way and, and people. But sometimes it was, uh, 
you know, like when we were going across the Nullarbor, it's like there's basically nothing out there. And we were running, when we started at four, four in the morning, it was dark. And the Nullarbor was particularly really good for, uh, for that because it was just a starry, starry night when we're running and that was that was really special to be just running in a straight line for 27 days in the starlight for the first few few hours it was yeah pretty 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 amazing it's an incredible country for me it's just so um inspiring the thought of doing that and being out in nature like that's what i've got a achilles problem at the moment and walking and running's been my form of exercise and the but the foot person's just like, just for a while, just rest your Achilles and you're not to do any kind of running or walking, putting any pressure on the Achilles. And my husband's just like, oh, just go to the gym and do a yoga class or just do yoga or just do this. And I'm like, but I'm not outdoors seeing different things. Like, I just love seeing, even if it's the same tree, but seeing it in different lines, seeing it in different Connecting with, with nature, you know, it's it's just so important for us. And uh, well, where we are now, we have a river right on our going through our property, basically. And um, interestingly, you're talking about the injury. Well, I had because we were on and off planes so much during this last year with um, traveling with the film. I think I had one flight too many, and basically, when I got off the last flight, uh, I had this uh, pinched nerve in my leg. And that's been, you know, about seven weeks now I've had this pinched nerve in the leg. So for six weeks I stopped running and just started swimming. So I've been swimming every day, twice a day in the river. And that I'm, got, I've, I'm back running again now. And it's just like I didn't stop. It keeps, you know, keeps your whole um, body going. So swimming I would recommend. Wow, definitely. So, you know, that that's really great for us. And, of course, we're just in the river in the nature so that that's even better but what another thing that we've been doing too is like a lot of people say well I just can't run you know like I mean it's great what you did but you know I'm not a runner or whatever but um I mean if you've got legs and you know this yourself from experience if you've got legs that work then walk you know like walk anywhere um and um, so that's what we've been doing over the last few years is we've been going over to Europe. Well, originally in 2014, after, um, after the run, we were invited to screen a short film of the, the making of the film at the Cannes Film Festival in France. And, you know, that, like that's the big red carpet deal. And so, <laughs> so because we went there, we thought, oh, well, what can we do while we're there? We could, we could find a, a mountain or two we could hike up. So we actually came up with the um, with walking the Pilgrim Trail, which a lot of people know about. It's it's well known as the Camino, but that's in the Spanish side. Um, but we actually got off the plane in Paris and literally, you know, just walked from Paris down through France and then across Spain. Um, and it was uh, that was fantastic. So we did two and a half thousand kilometers with backpacks and. The whole thing it was it was just amazing so we've been doing that the last few years in europe but also this last year we were invited to speak in china so we thought wow there must be a pilgrim trail in china so sure enough we we found the highest buddhist mountain um where it's got all the the taoist and buddhist uh temples all the way up so you stay in the temples but it's over two hundred thousand steps so you're actually walking steps up the mountain, literally. 
all the way. And uh, that was an interesting one. <laughs> With you back, back, back on. But um, yeah, so we were we were training specifically for that as well. So you know, it, there's there's lots of things you can do in in nature, even combining. Like we don't when we go on one of these trips with the with the film we always okay where are we going what can we do while we're there to connect with nature in that place so um yeah so that's basically what we're doing and we'll be doing that again when we go to france this year we're actually planning on walking from paris to rome so because they want to screen in rome so well we'll <laughs> why not of course It'll be going over the Swiss Alps and into there. So, yeah, and it's just, it's incredible to be able to, like you said, you know, to be able to connect with nature, be there and be a part of it. And it's, it's not about, you know, speed or doing anything fast or, or you know, um, it's not about that. It's about being there, you know, connecting. What would be your tip for someone who's listening who's never done any, any exercise or anything like this? What would you tell them? as a starting point, like where should they start? I think yoga is a really good way to start because it's very, um, you know, it, it's it's non, it, non-invasive. It doesn't, you know, get you out of your comfort zone. You can do um, anything, um, any of the poses within your own ability and it's still, you know, and it's very um, meditative as well. I think that's a good way. Like we do yoga and, and meditation as well. Walking is great, just especially if you've got, a friend or an animal friend to walk with. I think that's, um, you know, that's always always good because you can chat like a couple of days ago we were going for a run and um, we were joined by one of our neighbours running and she was just chatting away and next thing you know we've run, you know, five kilometres more than what we thought because we're just chatting away. So you, you're not sort of going out there, oh, my God, I've got to go for a run or I've got to go for a walk and how am I going to get there, you know. It's sort of you have something else or just connecting with, with your surroundings as well. For people who, well, let's, let's say, like my, for instance, my dad, he's just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And for someone like him, he hasn't, he's not vegan. He's, he's made a big move in that direction since being diagnosed. But still, if you're listening, Dad, you have a long way to go. <laughs> no. Um, but there's lots of people who are listening who just wouldn't know, I wouldn't know, I guess, how to get that faith in this way. Do you know what I mean? Like how to, like obviously you do, you'd already had a life where you were a little bit of an outlier anyway with growing your own food and being vegetarian, running marathons and being really healthy already when you were diagnosed. But what would you tell someone like of where to start if they want to start Building the educa- becoming more educated and informed so that they do have more faith in adopting a, a, pla- a raw, especially a raw diet or juicing and those kinds of things, meditation, yoga, getting into that holistic way of managing their health. Because a lot of people just think, oh, you know, I'll do the, the mainstream thing because that's what's the common route the common path of surgery chemo radiation that type of thing and i'm not saying that those things are right or wrong i just mean that if you feel like you like are curious about the other alternative like doing something like what Jeanette has done um what would be your 
idea of a place for them to start. Does that make sense? Like research or doctors or where they could look to start to think, oh, okay, this is, this is something that's not just a, a f- freak one-off lucky recovery story. It, it, it's a possible, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm getting my, explaining it easy enough. I think, and most people would not expect this, this answer because they don't think of it, but I think the absolute best place to look for answers is within because all the answers that we need in any form, we already have. We already have that knowledge. We just have shut down our ability to think or act intuitively and for what is, you know, the absolute best for yourself. So looking at it more, um, you know, in a way that you can relate to that is, you know, like a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, but I, like I don't know, I don't know how to meditate, I don't know how to, you know, go within, if you like. Um, I think the first thing to do is when you get up in the morning, this is what Alan usually says, the first thing when you wake up in the morning is to smile. That's the very first thing. He's, he also says, just get it over and done with <laughs> start the day in you know in a happy frame of mind no matter what doesn't matter what else is going on in your life because the act of smiling actually puts you into um you know a, a, a frame of mind that you're loving yourself and then you get up and you go to the mirror and look at yourself and tell yourself that you do really love yourself and i think that the the purpose of that, and you can have other, you know, um, aspirations that you can say and do, and it sounds, sometimes it might sound to some people like, oh, yeah, that's all, you know, that's all woo-woo or something. But in actual fact, most of us do not um, place a high enough value on ourselves, So, especially women. So they tend to be caregivers for everybody else, you know, if it's the children or the, or the parents or the you know, the friends, you're always caregiving for other people. But how much care and attention and love are you giving yourself? Now, if you change the value to be the priority and the highest value you can place on yourself, then you will do everything and anything to make sure that you, you know, you get the best for you. It's like if you wanted to purchase a car, for instance, and some people, a car is just a way of, you know, getting from A to B. But for other people, it's like, I really want, I really want this type of car and I'm going to save up and I'm going to work until I get that type of car. So I'm going to buy the Rolls Royce. So we've got the Rolls Royce, our body, ourselves, we are the best there is. And would we put into the best there is, would we put into a Rolls Royce the worst oil or petrol or you're going to take care of it, you're going to polish it, you're going to look after it. And that's what we need to do for ourselves. We need to put ourselves um, on the top, top priority because how can we, for instance, love others, care for others if we can't even love and care for ourselves? Once we do that, we actually lose things you know negativity because you no longer feel fear of because you've got yourself you're the you your best friend you'll ever have 
and you're the only person that's going to be with you for your whole life. Every second of the day, every second of the night, you're there. So that's the one that you need to take care of. And once people get the idea that they're actually worth it, then making those different choices in life becomes easy because, oh, well, that's the best I can do for me. You know, and it's not a selfishness. It's about doing the best you can because if you do the best you can for yourself, you're doing the best you can for your family, you're doing the best you can for the community, for all living beings and for the planet that we're living on. Like there's a lot of um, talk and, and um, people doing a lot of research out there with regard to maybe going and living on the moon or going and living on Mars or, you know, moving from the earth. But really, honestly, this is it, folks. We're not going to get um, another place. To live. This is our home and we need to take care of it. And our body is our home and we need to take care of it. And some, you know, in some, some ways it's our temple. So it's like you don't desecrate something that is so pure and beautiful as yourself. And once people get that right, once they get that value, um, there's no question. Like, you know, you don't have to analyze anything anymore. You don't have to um, think, well, you know, is that good for me or how much of that should I have? You just know because the answers are within. So you don't have to sit there and go like, okay, give me the answers. Just start loving yourself and the answers will come. Is that clear? So many people try to put more into um, making different choices in life and making it when, when really it just comes down to basically knowing that you're worth it and anything that you think is worth it, you will do anything for, won't you? So it's that clear. You would do anything for your children. You would do anything, you know, for your partner. So bringing it back to yourself brings it back to reality. Thank you so much. But I think a lot of what you're saying is so true. And I think that for some people that disconnect that as a society, a lot of us have with the inside, that internal knowing and that trust, like you said, you know, look within, the answer is within. A lot of us have been so cut off from within. It's hard. We stopped trusting that space, that inner knowing. We stopped trusting it. And now we just are trusting the external information, the external television, the media, the whatever, so much. And, and we've lost the, almost, almost some of us have lost the capacity to, to look within. Um, I think a lot of people have. And like you said, that connection with the whole, the whole planet, with the whole oneness of everything. Yeah, and I think if people are having difficulty with that to, you know, try and go there, then, you know, going somewhere like um, the Gawler Foundation is fantastic because it helped, you know, then you've got support in going in that direction and you, you can get, um, you know, you can get that feeling that, oh, yeah, it's not, it's not that hard to find out who I am actually. <laughs> so, you know, getting support I think is a big thing. I mean, I had, when I was making these decisions as to, you know, what, um, direction I was going to go once I'd had the prognosis. Um, I didn't, like, not all my family and, and friends were um, in agreement with some of the decisions that I was making. But, um, and, you know, you really sort of feel like you're, you're all alone 
Um, but I think that's when you really need to seek out support and, um, you know, going, going to groups and support groups is, is fine if it's going in the right direction for you. But um, for your family and friends that are closest to you, no matter what they feel about your decisions, um, it's very important to actually ask them for their support and say, look, just support me. I need your support in, um, in believing in, in, my, in myself, believing in what I, where I'm going with this. It's really important to have that positive support, even if they don't really think, oh, that, you know, mostly it comes from fear and they're afraid that, you know, if you don't do what the doctor says, you know, this is going to happen. But basically everyone, ultimately everyone has the choice that, you know, it's their choice. And so they need to, everybody needs to ask their best friends or their family to support them just in, in any way. It doesn't matter what it is, but to just be in a positive manner. Um, and that's quite hard to do. It's quite hard to just say, you know, when when your partner or your mom or your grandmother says, look, you've got to do what the doctor says. And, you know, so you just have to basically say, look, Granny, I really need you to support me in the decisions I'm making because I love you and I know you love me, but I just need to feel supported. And, pe- and they'll always come back with, of course we love you, of course we support you. And that's that's all you need you know, to, to continue in the direction that you choose to go. I, you know, my last thing would be your th- three tips for anyone who's wanting to, to try this out for themselves. And you've already said support and this, and what you answered was perfect. So if you only want, you only have to find two, if you think that you've already given me enough gold, which I think you have. <laughs> well, I think people need to do their own research. Like you can go to the doctor and you can get a diagnosis or a prognosis or, or, or an opinion. But again, it, it's like, okay, so take that's information that you can use to see where you want to go. You know, you don't have to, when they say, look, okay, this is your situation. This is what we recommend that you do. And you basically can say, well, thank you so much for your information and opinion and advice. I'm going to take that and decide, you know, make, make my decision and take that information and start researching. So when I was um, diagnosed, you know, it's basically almost 17 years ago now, um, there was no internet. There was no, you know, there was very little that you could look up. There was no Google. There was no, you know, there was no way to get that information. I had to sort of go to um, case studies and, um, you know, medical journals and things like that to try and d- make the decisions in that direction and then go to other books and 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 um, looking at um, researching certain things that were recommended to me, um, some of which there hadn't been studies anyway. So um, nowadays there's so much information out there um, that, you know, uh, you can – you can almost be overwhelmed by it because there's so much of it. But I think that if people kind of um, start with thinking, okay, what's being told to me and what's being recommended to me, does this make sense to me? Is this going to work for me? And if you come up with yes, then great. Do the research in that direction and find out what 
you know, is that if have you got all the information you need to actually go through with whatever it is you've chosen? If it doesn't make sense to you, then then you're in a position where you can look elsewhere. And there's just so much information out there to look and decide, um, okay, what can I do? Even if you do nothing at all, the most important thing is to, um, to give yourself the love that you need because that might be just all you need. You know, a lot of things, even cancer, can be caused, the mutations process can be caused purely by emotional stress. And in a lot of cases, that, that is exactly what's happening. So, you know, once you start um, going within and giving yourself the time that you need, then you'll start to clear those emotional stresses and perhaps that's all you need to do. Uh, for some people, prayer works. There's all sorts of different ways that can be, you know, I've heard of, I'm not alone in being, you know, or I'm not the only person that's gone in an alternative direction with um, changing a prognosis. There's thousands of people now over those, you know, those years. And there's many, many wonderful stories out there of different ways that people have gone in, you know, I mean, you and I totally, you know, we both had a situation that we did something with and, here we are. So um, there's lots there's lots of information, and, and I think that's the first thing. People need to take that responsibility or that um, take that upon themselves if they really care about about the journey that they're going to go on from that point on. For a lot of people, I think it does tend to become a relief when they get a diagnosis because they might have had an illness or they might have um, not been feeling. Um, happy with the situation for a long time and so it's a relief to actually put a label on it and then if you know if you're offered some treatment um, that can also turn into a relief if you like well all I need to do is take this pill and I'm going to be fine for the rest of my life but deep down is that really actually changing the situation for you probably not so it's sort of just looking into um, looking into what the person themselves really feels is right for them. So do the research, find out what you can. It doesn't mean you have to follow anybody or do, because everybody's different, everybody's circumstances are different. You know, I don't, even in my book um, that I wrote about my journey with cancer, it's not a how-to book. It's not like do what I did. Because It's just giving people the information that, you know, they can relate to various parts of that information. They can relate it to their own situation and make their own decisions. And I think that's that's the important thing is making your own decisions rather than just going, okay, this is what the doctor tells me I have to do, so that's what I'm going to do because the doctor may not even have known you since the beginning of time, of your time necessarily, and the doctor's certainly not you. So we, we, we have the ability to take our health into our own hands. And I think more of that needs to, you know, needs will we'll change everything once we start doing that. Was there one other thing you needed? <laughs> no, I just want you to, now to just go into, please, after all of that amazing, I, I, I just want to say thank you because I really enjoyed everything that you said. It was just, just a, such a great way of saying it and a great way of looking at health and I think so many people 
I think so many people will benefit from what you've just said. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure to be able to share. So I just want you to give people more information about how they can follow you, find you, support you, buy your DVD, buy your book, all those kinds of things. So obviously I'll attach the links in the show notes. So if they miss it, they'll be there just for now so they can listen and just go, okay, I can find her here and I'll remind themselves to go straight away and order the books and DVDs and all those things. So probably my website's the best best way to contact me directly um, and that's rawveganpath.com. Um, so, you know, if you contact me through there, I'll be happy to lead you down the raw vegan path anytime. <laughs> That's one way to remember it. So rawveganpath.com. And on there you'll find links to uh, my Facebook page. And I have a Facebook page with my name, as a lot of us do, but I also have other pages that are linked through there as well. Um, we had one up during the run called Running Raw Around Australia and that you'll, you'll find it on Facebook as well. There's Raw Vegan Path on Facebook. There's um, Raw Can Cure on Facebook. Um, so there's, um, yeah, I have various, various ones, but you'll get them through my personal one. Now I try to, I don't know if anyone realises this, but Facebook caps the amount of people that you can have on your, on your Facebook, personal Facebook. And that's at 5,000 and it's been there for a long time. So every now and then I just drop a few off, you know, like having done this now, there might be people that want to contact me and be friends on Facebook. So I'll go through and just take anyone off that I haven't heard from in a long time or whatever so that there's room. So if, if you want to be friends on Facebook, send me a friend request and, you know, just mention that you've, um, you've heard this, this podcast. The other uh, way to get in touch uh, is through well always through the through the website but with regard to the film so the film is called raw the documentary we've named it that first of all so that people know it's a documentary as opposed to it is a feature-length film but as opposed to there's a lot of um, films out there now that are stories but they're made up stories so there's one called Raw, and it's about cannibals. <laughs> it's like complete opposite. Okay. Do not try to get to look at the one called Raw because it'll make you sick. Um, so that's why it's called Raw, the documentary. And um, that you can see the trailer on, on the website of rawveganpath.com. That's on the front page. And... Also, on our various pages throughout the website, you can get the books that I've written. So the first book that I wrote is called Raw Can Cure Cancer. And that is um, that was based on my journey with cancer, but it also um, involves 64 other different people who were had various different prognoses with cancer. Um, and so I've brought them all in together into one character. And so the book is novelized, but it's completely based on fact and true stories. So it's an entertaining book. It's not a how-to book, but it does give the reader the, the ability to relate to the different situations, whether it be the person with the diagnosis or the support person or the doctor. 
So that's um, Look and Cure Cancer. It is in its sixth edition, so it's uh, now a um, worldwide bestseller. And it's really, um, yeah, it's taking off really well because people can, because of the way it's written, it can be, um, you know, people can relate to it. So hopefully that will be helpful and inspirational to um, people. The second book that I wrote, yeah, the second book that I wrote is called Running Out of Time. And I wrote that directly after uh, finishing the run around Australia. So it's based on the run. It has all the, every day it's got, you know, a little um, blurb about every day, how it went, what we did, uh, every single step we took, all that kind of thing, all for those, you know, um, running um people who want to know the details that's all there of course we were we had um satellite navigation so every every step we took was actually uh recorded and um so that's all in there but also there's some recipes in there and um and recipes for life i guess and some pictures and things so that uh that came out shortly after about three months after we'd finished and then the film uh, you can get it uh, as a DVD. Uh, you can get it in two different versions or formats. One is PAL, which is Australia, or pretty much all the world except North America and Japan and Brazil, which is a different format, and that's NTSC, and it does explain it on the website. Just make sure that you get the right DVD for the country that you're living in. Um, yeah. And then uh, eventually we will have um, digital available on that website as well uh, for digital downloads. I recently did, I was involved with a, um, an online um, forum and we, had, and we had digital downloads as a, a gift, I guess, of the film for anyone that uh, attended the, um, the online talks and about 200 went out. So now that I have that, um, that technology, uh, that will be going up on the website as well pretty soon for anybody that wants to download rather than have the actual DVD. So those are the, yeah, and I do, I'm, I'm hoping to start doing a blog. Oh, we do have a YouTube channel and that there's a link through to that on the website as well. Um, it hasn't, you know, I haven't been that active on it. Um, recently because of, you know, being involved with making the film and so on. But once the film is out there in the next few months and doing its own thing, then I'll be doing more um, YouTube because I get a lot of people asking me questions every day, every week. And what I thought I could do is just bring those questions together and rather than answer them personally, because I, I can get up to 5,000 in a week. So, um, you know, just answer those as you know, in whatever way, um, in a general way for everybody. So, um, we'll, you know, I'll start doing that on YouTube later on when we get back from Europe, I guess. That will start happening. So you can um, subscribe to the YouTube channel and that'll be happy. So, yeah, definitely contact me through the websites the best way. We do have email addresses um, as well and obviously through Facebook. But I do tend... Because we get so many people coming on the Facebook, I, I do tend to really only see anything that I'm tagged in. So, you know, if you're, um, if you're wanting to actually get in touch personally, the email is the best 
and that's through the website. Yeah, email at rawveganpath.com. Okay. Easy. Awesome. <laughs> that is easy. Um, one last thing I just thought I'd ask would just be just a bit of a, just a day of what an eating day looks like for you guys, for people who are like curious about what an eating I just thought about it just then and I thought, oh, people might want to hear that, what, what they eat like. Um, well, obviously, it's very different to when we were yeah, to when, when we were running around Australia. We needed a huge amount of um, calories to keep us going. Um, running a marathon every single day consecutively, you know, is different to yeah, running one or just doing whatever um, during the day. So when we're at home in our normal situation, because we live in far north Queensland and because the abundance of fruit is available, we mainly eat fruit. So we will start the day um, usually with a run, a walk, and a swim. So we exercise first, and then we come back and um, we'll have whatever fruit is in season. So uh, at the moment it's um, pawpaw and um, mangoes. Horrible. So we'll just have a huge plate full of that. If, um, if we've got things in the garden that need to be eaten, like um, sometimes our garden becomes so prolific, um, so we really need to use some of the green. So we'll make a green smoothie. So And also if we've done a long run, then we'll make a green smoothie for breakfast as well as eating whatever the fruit is. So the green smoothie is usually based on about three main ingredients, so greens, um, bananas, and some other fruit that's in season. Um, and then we, you know, we might add the other, the odd other fruit in there, but basically that's it. Um, then we, so by the time we've done our run and everything, and we've come back, we sit in the sun uh, in the morning because we're lucky enough to have sun pretty much every morning here, um, and it's early enough for it to be a safe time to have. So we sit in the sun to have our breakfast, and that's usually about eight thirty nine o'clock by the time we're finished here. Um, and then we go and do whatever we're doing throughout the day. Um, if we're not actually going away to do something, we're here at home and we're usually in the garden or I might be on the, on the computer for various other things. Um, and then we don't really eat until about four o'clock. So we don't eat throughout the day um, unless we've got a massive amount of, say, figs go that are just dropping off the tree and we have to eat them and we feel hungry for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> Normally yeah. We don't. Um, you know, we might have one or two or something through the day, but we don't have a meal. Uh, so at about 4 o'clock we'll have a meal and that will either be whatever fruits in season. So, um, you know, or we might have uh, several melons that really need to be eaten, so we'll eat several melons. Um, it's very, very simplistic. Or we'll make a salad um, from, you know, whatever's in the garden. We Sometimes we get so many tomatoes and things all coming at once, so we'll, we'll make a, a salad and we'll have that. Um, usually every second day we will have a juice at about 4 o'clock as well. So the juice is made from the peelings and the green, the green stalks from the greens that we're using in the smoothies, the peelings from some of the... Um, um, Fruits like pineapple, because everything up here we it is basically organic or untouched, um, just by default. Uh, so we keep the, those skins and we juice all of that along with some carrots and beetroot and um, whatever else is 
needed. Like we do grow ginger and uh, turmeric, and we put a little piece of that in every every time we juice, as well, which is really really good for you. And that's pretty much it. So we don't eat late at night. We like to eat earlier in the in the evening, and, and then you know we, we get about. We try to get about 17 or 18 hours of not eating throughout the evening so that you're actually fasting during that time. We also do fast occasionally, usually when when the food runs out <laughs> and we haven't, and it's like, oh, we need to, you know, go and pick some more pawpaws, but we don't have, you know, any in the house today, so we might as well just fast. So occasionally we don't fast because we need to, because eating the way we do, the, the body's naturally detoxing all the time. But um, when we do fast, it would be just for like, you know, maybe 36 hours at the most. So that's through a night and a day and the next night. Um, yeah, at the most. And that's just, you know, we never feel hungry. So sometimes if we're, well, certainly when we're flying and when we're traveling, um, then we won't, we won't eat anything at all. We we drink water, but we don't eat any food, you know, on, on the plane or anything. So, And you don't eat nuts and seeds at all? Very, very few. Um, not as a rule. Uh, occasionally if I'm making, some, making a um, dressing for a salad and it needs some thickening because I might not have avocados, then I might grind up some, um, some soaked sunflower seeds. So we've got sunflower seeds usually um, – that's about it. We don't eat them as a snack or as a, you know, on their own. Um, if we're going to a potluck or a gathering of other, um, you know, raw vegans, we might make something with it, but normally not. When we first went into it and we had our wellness center, we were making everything in the way of, you know, raw vegan um, cuisine, all the desserts, all the, you know, lasagnas and the pizzas and all those types of things. But, um, we had to for the restaurant, but um, I don't know when I last made something like that. It's just been years, really, but we don't do it in our normal life. Um, just eat fruits and vegetables and get plenty of sleep. Perfect. Oh, so it's, it's so simple. You can just, you don't even have to cook or cut or do anything. You just cut it in half, peel it, eat it. Yeah, exactly. And some things you don't even peel. Like the figs at the moment are just dropping off the tree. So we're trying to catch them before they drop. Just pick it and eat it. It's just, you know. I love figs. I really love figs. It's just, they're so in right now. And we've got three trees out. Little, little on the other side of the garden. And we're just eating figs all day. And no, it doesn't make us go to the toilet all day either. Like a lot of people, oh, you can't eat that many figs. Because... (laughs) Our diet, it's not having to move other stuff out because everything, you know, it's in a a clean machine, so to speak. Now, I love that interview. It was just had so many things. I was just like, yes, 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 yes. It made me so excited. I just want to like run around, I don't know, everywhere and (laughs) go on every pilgrim trail and every every trail that is and climb every mountain and you know do all the things because life is amazing and it's amazing what our bodies can do if we put the right fuel in and if we 
you know, meditate and become more mindful and we're more present and we really give back to ourselves, there is endless possibilities about what we can achieve and what we can overcome in our lifetimes. So this interview just re-inspired, reignited, re-everything <laughs> me, my soul. So thank you so much, Jeanette and Alan, for your documentary. All of the links are in the show notes, but, you know, if you don't read the show notes, the links to get in touch with Jeanette are on Facebook. You can get in touch with her from the Raw Vegan Path Facebook page, the Raw, Raw the Documentary Facebook page. You can get in touch with her website mostly, which is www.rawveganpath.com. From there, you can go on to see all the YouTube videos. You can go on to look at um, the documentary and her books, Raw Can Cure Cancer, and I'm running out of time. They're all there in the website, at the website. You can contact her there. Her email is email at rawveganpath.com. Thank you again, Jeanette. And yes, please find her on social media, follow them, you know, buy the DVDs, buy the books, do all the things, go to their speeches. Just, they're amazing. I highly recommend meeting them in person because they're even lovelier and warmer and more vibrant and amazing to just be near because their enthusiasm for life just rubs off. It's infectious. So yeah, do yourself a favor. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast or I put out new episodes each week and next week will be another recovery story for you all that is not to be missed. So click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out. And if you can leave a five-star rating, please five stars because it's just what I want because it's just the nicest thing you could do. Um, and take the time for, to leave a review. It just helps more people access this podcast and find it in the masses of other podcasts. Um, and it may help them or like myself might change their lives. So that's totally worth it. Um, so please if you take the five minutes of time to do that. You never know who you might help. Thank you so much. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. <laughs>